Bubble Media. Inside the Bubble is a listener-supported podcast. More about how you can support us later in the show. This is Inside the Bubble. I am Bissi Adedon. Today's episode is about how people's backgrounds shape them, or if the backgrounds shape them at all. Your tribe, what state you're from, who your parents are, what religion you were born into. These are factors that are often used as shortcuts to tell stories about people. When someone asks you where you are from, they are usually trying to decide what box to put you in, or at least that tends to be the case. This episode is all about those stories and whether or not they are true. Starting with this one. Yo. Yo. Alright, this one starts recording immediately you join the call. Producers Mo Isu and Itoro Basi. So let's start with let's start with what is the story about? Like what is this story about? I mean it's a typical story. Man meets woman, boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl. They marry happily ever after, right? But like, so like this boy and girl like come from like very different, like they have very different origins. So obviously, like this translates to children that have like differing, differing point of views because of like this different origin stories of like both parties, like the parents, you know. That's where this story is going to go. It's going to talk about a boy meeting a girl and getting married and all of that. But that's not what the story is about. It's about Itoro, specifically about the quality he has. What, how would you describe the quality of how you are? Like? Uh, I, think, I think the best way to, to, to describe it would be like to say a typical thing that could happen. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember when you met Ito? I do, actually. This is Ayo Debola. Ito is my friend, and I am Ito's friend. We reached out to her to tell us about how she met Ito, to help us paint a picture of him. And I think the first time I met Ito, he actually carried me and hugged me, like he hugged me and carried me. You know, he's kind of huge, so and I was kind of small, so he lifted lifted me off the ground. And I was like, yeah, my YouTube girl, the girl with the pepper in her eyes and everything. And I'm like, I love <laughs> And I'm just there feeling, I was just there blushing because I'm like, who is this person that likes me like this now? I don't understand why you do, you know? So yeah, that's basically the first time I met him. But he's, he's a, he was really friendly. Like from the beginning, we didn't even have like downtime or anything like that. It was all love from the beginning. And this is the thing we are trying to get at. Itoro has a distinctive character. He describes it as empathy, but it's a little more than that. Itoro radiates a particular type of loving disposition, one that his friends can testify to. Oh yes, Itoro makes you feel comfortable. The idea for this story was to investigate why Itoro was this way, and that's where the lover boy and the girl come into the story. His parents. This story was supposed to be an origin story. Like, it feels like a love story. This story was supposed to be an origin story. Like that's like that's the intention in the way, like in the way you tell it, like in the way the story is told. Mm-hmm. The intention is for the story to be an origin story. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you are you end up sounding like a love story because like that's kind of what it is, isn't it? Yeah. 
in many ways. It's an origin, it's an origin story that is the love story. Mm, fair enough. This is a story we are starting with, an origin story about love. In today's episode about backgrounds, an episode we have titled, Where Are You From? I am Bisi Adedon and you are listening to Inside the Bubble, the crowdsourced podcast about social bubbles. Every episode, we feature stories from different people about their experiences around a unifying concept. We do this to show how different or similar life outside our bubble is. Act 1. An origin story about love. So this story is about our associate producer, Itoro, and how he attributes the type of person he is now to the way his parents raised him. The kind of person Itoro is now is the kind of person a friend would describe as being special. He's really special and that has really played out. This is Miriam, another friend that we reached out to. And I think he's been exposed to a very healthy environment growing up, being that Itoro's parents they're kind of my role models in terms of marriage, in terms of how they interact with their children, what they what they teach them, how they allow them to see life, you know. And I think that's something Itero had picked from the intention the parents made to have a very brilliant family. And that has kind of really spread out into his life. Itero is half Ibibio and half Yoruba. His mom is Yoruba. Itero says that growing up with parents from two different tribes created a nurturing environment for him and his siblings. A melting pot of cultural exchange, if you will. Okay, let, let me give let me give this like this quick example. So like my mom, my mom is my mom is Yoruba, right? Yeah. And then every time we go, every time we go and hang out with my or we go and visit my mom's parents, or even my mom's siblings, if like when you want to greet them, the typical way of greeting them is to prostrate, right? Yeah. You, you prostrate, right? But like when I go to see my dad's people, my dad is Ibibio. Like they, like they're not about all of that. Then they just hug, <laughs> right? So like from the from from an outsider point of view, like seeing someone prostrate just sounds weird. But for me, it's like it's my it's just a different reality. Which is, it's not even a bad thing, it's just a thing. This would be a good point to talk about how Itero's parents met. So my mom was friends with my dad's sisters. They went to school together. They were, they were roommates, I think. Yeah, they were roommates at some point and that's, that's how they met and they became really good friends. My mom became friends with all my dad's sisters. And at some point, Itero's dad, through that friendship, took an interest in his mom. Whenever his sisters went to see their friend, he would go along. My aunts used to go and visit my mom, and then my da- my dad used to go with them. And then at some point, my mom says that he started coming on his own. So it was that, like he just used to come and then see her. Obviously, he was interested in her. And then at at, at some point in all of this, my mom my mom was like, "Okay, wait, calm down. What what is it you want? Like, why are you coming? What do you want?" And my dad. He didn't understand and she said you know what go back and think about what it is you want and then come back and let's talk well he, he thought about it and seven months later they were married it's been over 25 years since they got married 
they have had four children and interoses that the spark they had at the beginning of their relationship is still there. More than that, they have the same love for everyone else. Ichiro grew up constantly surrounded by relatives and family friends. His house was that house. The doors were always open to everyone. Like every point in my life since I was a child, there's there have always been there have always been people just around that my parents just like take care of. A recent example is of cousins twice removed from them who lost both parents in quick succession. Itero says that after the second parent died, their dad just left the house, picked up the kids and brought them to live with them. And everyone else in the family was just fine with it. It's just what it is, you know. Like, yeah. yeah, there have been many instances like, like where things like that happen. Like someone falls in need and like they just come around and like, like, like it's, it's so crazy that like my parents are so synced. Like they don't even have to have this. They don't necessarily have to have a discussion about it amongst themselves. Like they are kind of like already on the same page even before talking about it, especially as regards like offering help and like being welcoming and, you know, and being generous. It's like I think that just sits down to, to like we, like the children, right, us. So yeah, I've, I've grown to, to, like, to like love people around. The thing with learning how to treat people from our parents is that at some point, we ask ourselves why. Why do we say thank you to the nice woman who gave us sweets? Why should we give money to the beggar? Why, why, why? As children, we don't understand these things. Naturally, Itoro had that moment growing up. Like I said, when, when I was younger, when I was younger, we used to have a lot of people around, which meant many times I had to share my room or sometimes even vacate my room. And I think at some point, like I just started irritating me. Like having to either share my room or like leave my room. And then one time, my parents had a talk with me because of that. Like to let me know that. See, in life, like I remember this talk. It was basically like the summary of it is in life. You can't always put yourself first. Like you have to understand that sometimes you inconvenience yourself a little so that other people feel better. And at the end of the day, it makes you feel better. Especially considering that the sacrifice you're making is really small in comparison to the good you're doing for others. Yeah, and I think that really stuck with me. It was is growing up seeing the friendship and love between his parents and seeing them spread that love to people around them. This is what has made him the way he is, the kind of person that loves his friends selflessly. Being raised in a family filled with so much love, he takes this into his friendships and hopes to one day find a friend to love and raise a family with, the same way his parents have. I think I saw a tweet that said, love is, love is hearing a story someone has told you before and like just like listening to it or something like listening to it like it's the first time you're hearing it 
right. I mean, my parents have yeah. married. My parents have married for over two decades. There are stories that they've said to each other that me, I know they've said this story most like because me, me that have not even been involved in the marriage <laughs> from the beginning. I've heard this story multiple times. And when when you hear them reacting to the story, do react like it's the first time they're hearing it. Like I'm like, what, what, you've heard this story before now. <laughs> Why are you so excited? <laughs> like they're so excited to talk to each other. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, right? Like you can see that these people are clearly good friends, great friends. Like every time they just want to talk to each other and just like laugh and play. Right? So like it's it's really a beautiful relationship that they have. You are listening to Inside Your Bubble. In today's episode, we are featuring stories about our backgrounds and how they shape us. Like what you've heard so far? Why not share with a friend or tweet at us at the Pod of Bubbles? Our second story is about an intersection that you don't see that often in Nigeria. It's about Aisha Obi, an Igbo Muslim. Act 2. It's not a big deal. People keep saying it's a big deal. It's really not. It's not a big deal. It is not a big deal. Ugh. Here's Moisu with the rest of that story. The idea of being Igbo and Muslim is just so odd to many people here. Yeah, being Nigeria. It's just one of those things. So there are three major tribes in Nigeria. Igbo, Yoruba, and Aosa. And although it's never like explicitly taught, the tribes have also arranged themselves into the two major religions. The Aosas are mostly Muslim, the Igbos are mostly Christian, and the Yorubas are a blend of the two. When people meet someone like Aisha who doesn't fit into this role, they struggle to make sense of it. Muslim. I, can, I can understand it, but like I don't... Maybe because I, I feel sometimes like I'm being poked at when people start to say, oh, so tell me. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know you. I just met you two minutes ago. <laughs> because it's so rare to meet people like Aisha, people that are Igbo and Muslim, most people Aisha meets make a big deal out of it. They are fascinated by it and want to know her story. You are Igbo Muslim? Ow, what's that like? I have to admit, I am one of those people. By the time I spoke to Aisha, she was quite exhausted of people trying to make a big deal out of what to her was really not. I don't think it's such a great thing. I don't think, well, but, but apparently it's a good conversation starter. It makes people think I'm more interested. I don't, <laughs> I don't particularly think that, I don't particularly think it makes me more. I think deep down, when, when you get to know me, I'm pretty regular. I don't think it's anything fascinating. In my interview with Aisha, I wanted to answer these questions. The how and the what's that like. To answer what's that like, it's not fun. Aisha is tired of having these conversations. It's a great conversation starter, yes, but it's never the conversation she actually wants to have. I remember someone almost tried to do that to me like one day. I think I was, it was during service and she was like, you know, the nice, the most, or the most unique thing about you is that you're Igbo and Muslim. I'm like, that's not, yeah, trust me. I'm awesome. <laughs> the other great <laughs> things about me that those, those two things are not one. I'm I'm telling you, and she's like, oh really? I'm like, yeah. What does like? It's just like she's if she, for example, she's Yoruba Catholic. Growing up, 
I didn't meet a lot of Yoruba Catholic people. I felt like Yoruba people were more more likely to go to like Pentecostal churches or Sele. Like that was my whole thing. If I wanted to like put you in that box that I grew up with, I would have been like, oh, quite rare to you know meet Yoruba. And but but the truth is, it's not that rare. And even if it's rare, so what? Like should I be the one to tell you oh you know you're actually supposed to go to a select church or you're not supposed to <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. the devotion about is that you're a bad Catholic oh exactly I should have told her that you know and, and then it, it was just I, I felt like it was a weird conversation so I quickly shut it down I'm like no that's not the most unique thing about me trust me there are three main ways people react to meeting her there's the group of people who find nothing unique about it. They've met other Igbo Muslims. This isn't new. This group is very small, but running into them is always a pleasure for Aisha because to them, it's also not a big deal. Sometimes I've had people who had no, like they didn't flinch and they were like, oh yeah, I actually, I know, I know a guy who's from Imo and he's from Oweri and his name is Ahmed Dinejad or something. And I'm like, thank you. Like there was like literally there was a moment like that when i was doing my internship and the guy was an Igbo guy and he was like yeah and like he's not surprised at all that he knows a bunch of Igbo muslims and i was like oh my god i'm so grateful then the second group of people the group of people that want there to be a bigger explanation for it the fascinated and the curious the tell me what's that like explain your story the you don't look like people people say i don't look evil whatever that means i don't look evil to have accepted it i look and you say, when I say I'm Ibira, it makes more sense to them. The final group just can't accept that she exists. So they make up their own stories to explain her existence. And they force it onto her. Like, this is what you are to me. There was this lecturer she met once who thought she was Muslim for political reasons. He was like, oh, you're Igbo and you're a Muslim. I was like, yes. He said, oh, where do you live? I said, I live in Abuja. And he was like, oh, I guess why you'll be a Muslim. Like, that was literally what he said. And I'm like, why? But then I got what he meant. Because he just said it very casually and just kept doing what I'm like, oh, you get why I would be a Muslim. And I I really can't remember the other thing he said that made me really know that that was what he meant. Like, I was doing it for... Oh, no, no. Okay, he asked, what does your dad do? And I said, he's a journalist. And he was like, oh, yeah, I get why you'd be a Muslim. Yeah, and, and, that was, and I was like, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> Yeah, but I just let it go because. As if being Muslim makes it easier to be a journalist. Anyways, that's all for what's that like? The owl. The owl is pretty easy. She inherited her tribe from her father. She didn't have much of a say in that. As Aisha put it, the patriarchy is still winning, so I'm I'm from Imo State. <laughs> the Muslim part is a little trickier. Long story short is that she was raised Catholic, but eventually became Muslim. It's not a conversation she wanted to have. Uh, please, can we skip that? <laughs> and it's not what this story is about. I and Aisha talked for a little over an hour, which was pretty different for her. This conversation about tribe and religion is one she tries to shut down as quickly as possible. But I wanted to get to the bottom of the interaction she has and why her position was so important to her. In a way, I think we did. For Aisha, being Muslim and being Igbo are two separate pieces of her identity. She isn't an Igbo Muslim. She's Igbo and she's Muslim. The two independently, not the combination of the two. Why is it so difficult for people to understand? Is the question she always asks herself, and I think I can answer that too. Aisha's mom is Ebira, and in Ebira, the name Hapsa is Abisetu, which is essentially a remixed version of the name. 
That happens a lot in Nigerian tribes. My name, Isu, I-S-U, is from the Arabic word Yusuf. My tribe took the name and turned it on its head. They did the same thing with the name Jemilat and made it Jemileton. Other tribes do it too. Jehovah's have Zulia from Zulaika, Silifat from Zulfa, Goraimo from Ibrahim, Asumo from Ismail. Honestly, the list is long. It feels like when culture and religion stay together for long enough, they start to dilute into each other. Take the Hausa culture for instance. Many of what people think is Hausa culture is really Islamic culture. Ask a random person to list Hausa names to you and chances are they will squeeze in a couple of Arabic ones as well. So it's not completely far-fetched that people use the same lens to see Aisha. Maybe it's not the right lens, but it's not far-fetched. Aisha understands this, she just doesn't subscribe to it. In my own case, for example, being a Muslim, that's like my relationship with God and I don't think it should have any bearing on whatever tribe God put me in. It's just me and the creator like having a relationship. Why should it matter if I'm Igbo? Why should it matter if I'm Ibira? Why should it matter what where I come from? You can't say, oh, this is how we do it oh. In our place, people know they go this place. So I've heard people say those things to me. Yeah, we know they do that kind of thing. What kind of thing? Like, what am I doing in that one that is so unheard of? I don't know if you get where I'm coming from with the whole, like, I manage to separate everything. It doesn't make one lick of sense to me. You're like, oh, we don't do that. Oh. What am I doing that we don't? Like, how how terrible is, is it? Is it such a bad thing that, you think, oh, as an evil man, what was your religion born? Was your identity, was your is your cultural identity linked to historically? Is it linked to Christianity or anything in any way? If we are going all like back to the beginning, if we're going back to the beginning, then we, we might all as well start to worship like, you know, idols or the sun or the moon or the stars. You get, if you get, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Like those are the things that actually are linked to our cultural identity. But somehow, somehow, religion like you know christianity islam found their way to us so why are we latching onto it so badly like when in the beginning when god created evil people he also created christianity and said you know the two of you should this, this is the religion for the evil people i don't know if you get what i'm saying so that's why it's easy for me to separate the two it's not it's not something that i do like i'm like with deep effort i'm like today when i wake up i'm separating the two i'm going to have to separate them you know it's just there's no other way for them to live for them for my identity to be except separate there's a game people play when they meet in a group for the first time two truths and one lie the idea is to say two facts and one lie about yourself and the other people in the group try to guess which is the lie here's what Aisha told me when I asked her to tell me two truths and one lie I used to be on a children's show when I was when I lived in Lagos on, on like a TV show I was once hospitalized for about a month and the third statement is I'm 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 five years older than my younger brother. I'm not going to reveal which is the lie. I just thought it was worth noting that Aisha didn't bring up her intersectionality at all. If that was truly one of the more unique or interesting things about her, it would probably have come up. This is Inside the Bubble. I am Bissi Adedon. In today's episode, we are featuring stories about our backgrounds and how they shape us. More stories after the break. 
Inside a Bubble is a listener-supported podcast. You can support us in making this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Patreon lets you donate a fixed amount to us monthly that helps us make new episodes. You can donate as little as $1 and if you change your mind, can cancel at any time. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash the pod of bubbles. Another way to support us is by sharing this episode with a friend. Rounding up today's episode with the story of someone whose career choice doesn't feel like it was ever really a choice. Act 3. Whose choice was it? This story is reported by producer Itoro Basi. My name is Olumide. I'm a final year medical student. Olumide and I were classmates, both in science class and secondary school. In SS3, when it came time to choose a university course, I chose engineering and he chose medicine. More than six years later, Olumide is nearing a point in his career where he needs to make another choice. He needs to choose what part of medicine to specialize in. When I asked him what he was leaning towards, I'm still undecided. Still undecided. Mm. Are you, are you leaning like, towards anyone right now? Nope. Because I want to leave medicine. But my parents, mm-hmm. my parents want this degree. The degree is, mm. the degree is more like for them than it is for me. I was really interested in finding out how he got to this point. The point where he was considering leaving medicine. To get the answer, we had to go back in time to the first time he ever toyed with the idea of becoming a doctor. 2010-ish. Yeah, 2010. I just had surgery. The earliest recollection was um, after I finished having surgery. I think maybe it was still the anesthesia that was still in me. Because there is nobody that will be lucid that will <laughs> just willingly say he wants to study medicine. Tell your children if you want to study it is the wrong decision. As a child, Olumide had been involved in a fire accident that landed him in the emergency room. On his road to recovery, he had to undergo multiple surgeries. I remember it was after um, after the surgery. I thought maybe I was thinking that I would want to replicate what the doctors did for me and what the doctors have been doing for me over time for people. Mm. So, but right now, I want to I want to first get myself in order before I can think I want to help anybody. And to be honest, you can help anybody. You can help a lot of people in other fields. But that's not the only thing that has pushed him towards medicine. Now, so if you ask my parents, if my parents ask me what specialty I want to go into, tell them, tell them I have no idea. And they asked me, you've not talked about plastic surgery. I'm like, I don't even like... See, they still talk to me about saying, yeah, sure, you don't want to do plastic surgery and all that. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, ma. I am too sure I don't want to do it. It's been his parents for a long time. While it initially felt like his choice, without his parents pushing him time and time again, he says he probably wouldn't have made it this far. In a way, 
you still I, I am very convinced that their push have gotten me this far. Their push has gotten me this far. I'm pretty sure I'll still be looking for what I want to do tomorrow. I got into the university a couple of years ago to study engineering, following a path not too dissimilar from Olumide's. Somewhere along the line, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore and switched to actuarial science, a course that is more closely related to economics and statistics than anything in the sciences. Olumide says, And I envy you. I'd love to do something like that too. Probably economics. And honestly, I'm certain it'd be great at it. I don't know if I've said this before, but Olumide is intelligent. Like really, really intelligent. I remember years ago when we were in secondary school, we were preparing for mock, the preparatory exam for WAEG. I mentioned to Olumide that there was a cash reward for the best students. Before then, Olumide hadn't really taken school seriously. I mean, I was I was the same on serious students in SS1 that my mother came to beat me in class. But he heard there was money involved and Olumide finished as the best graduating student. I asked him what he'd do differently if he could go back in time and change the path his life took, but he believes even if he could, it'd still be mostly powerless. The decision, he says, was never really his to make. The model the Nigerian educational system uses to, or the model it uses, starting from that GS3 to SS1, is ridiculous. It's those of dirty. The average age of those of us in our class back then, moving from GS3 to SS1 was 13, 13, 14 thereabouts. And from that age, you are asking children, asking children to decide what they want to be in life. You're asking them to choose the career they want to do academically at the age of 13, 14. It's ridiculous. Most of us are not making those decisions on our own. The parents are making it for them. But if there was anything he feels he could have done differently... Okay, maybe I'll have chosen a different subject or combination. In work, swap out a Greek because I'm not doing anything with it. This is something like maybe literature. Just put things that you like. Many of us have been let down paths by forces seemingly beyond our control. Our parents, big institutions, or even the society at large. Oftentimes, like Olumide, we find ways to attach meaning to these choices, convincing ourselves that they're originally ours. And maybe having this guidance isn't necessarily a bad thing. But imagine a life with full autonomy, where everything we do is a conscious, deliberate choice, unaffected by societal or economic pressures. What would that life look like? For me, I'd be a teacher, a therapist, and even a writer, more specifically a poet. Imparting people's lives through language and education has always had a special place in my heart. What about you?
this feels like a good place to end today's episode about backgrounds. It does feel like the person we become is influenced by these little details about ourselves that we don't get to choose. I think a revealing piece from today's episode is that while our background does influence our identities, it's not always in the way you might expect. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. Special thanks to our supporters on Patreon for helping us make this. For more stories that didn't make it into the episode, check out our Patreon. This episode was hosted by me, Bissia Dedon. It was produced by Moisu and Itorobasi with assistant production from Sandra Ugo. The music at the beginning and end of this episode are by Donna Loves Music and Joy Pecoraro. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Pod of Bubbles. Subscribe to Inside the Bubble wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, stories about heartbreak. I asked if you think I could find another heartbreak. I want to go for me though. I don't know. I don't think I... I don't know. It's more easy. I don't like the feeling. I hated it. It was like the worst. I want to do it again. Till then, this podcast was recorded Inside the Bubble.